Welcome to On the Other Side. Before we get into today's episode, a quick word from our sponsor, Forefront. Forefront is a community and media network for the explorers, builders, and artists at the frontier of collective creation on-chain. Forefront has an incredible newsletter that I cannot recommend enough. You can subscribe at forefront.market slash subscribe. You'll hear more about this later in the show, but for now, let's dive into this episode with Kevin Owaki. I am here with Kevin Owaki, who is a self-proclaimed chaos monkey of the, the region ecosystem, also co-founder of Gitcoin, doing incredible things in terms of the region side of crypto. Kevin, you've been on the podcast before. I'm very excited to have you back. I'm so excited to be here on the other side again. Hell yes. You're also the host of Green Pill, which is an incredible podcast. So many different things. Um, before we get into a book that you are working on called Stuff Only Crypto OGs Know um, and a bunch of other things, maybe you can give a little bit of background for people who are not familiar on you, uh, how you got into the crypto ecosystem and some of the things that you've been working on. Yeah. So I'm Kevin Iwaki. I am a 39-year-old uh, software developer from Boulder, Colorado. And um, I spent like 10, 12 years uh, working in Web2 as like a CTO VP engineering. I view myself as like technical first and foremost, but was leading teams in Web2. Some of the insights of leading teams in Web2 led me to found Gitcoin, which is now one of the largest crowdfunding protocols and platforms for funding what matters in your community, has delivered $50 million worth of funding to projects in the uh, Ethereum ecosystem, but also climate, decentralized science, um, DeFi ecosystems. Basically, it's uh, Gitcoin now, uh, its primary product is this thing called Grant Stack, which is basically a way that you can implement quadratic funding or any type of grants program in your own community. So basically, Gitcoin uh, is, is now a decentralized set of protocols and products that you can use to help fund what matters in your community. Um, about a year ago, I disaffiliated from Gitcoin in order to let the DAO fully take the reins of its governance with, uh, you know, lots of, lots of, lots of, uh, lots of popcorn moments have come out of that. But um, more recently, over the last year, I've been focused on building the Green Pill Network, which is basically a network of people who are focused on building positive sum digital systems into crypto, of which I view Gitcoin as sort of like one of the first positive some regen projects out there, but now I'm happy to say that there's hundreds of them. So we're kind of building a network where people can learn, explore and participate in this network of pro-social, pro-topian and uh, like pro-environmental DAOs and uh, Gitcoin kind of funds them all. So uh, I've got like a, there's like a double one-two punch where, where Gitcoin's funding a lot of these regen ecosystems and Greenpill is doing a lot of the cartography of the regen ecosystem and trying to figure out what's what there. So um, yeah, uh, I guess there's two parts to my career in crypto. It's been the Greenpill podcast hosting and community building. And then there's also been the founder of, of Gitcoin and those two things interrelate in relational in, in the relationships that I have and how I view the world. And it's been a lot of fun to do this. And um, I guess I'll just end by saying that when I first got into Web3 and crypto, it was very like libertarian, red stake, Bitcoin, maxi, libertarian, maxi. And now it's just fun that there's people that are into pro-social Web3 stuff and that I can kind of be with my more hippie friends and, uh, you know, play some hacky sack and throw an ultimate Frisbee at a crypto conference. Uh, it's it's happening. We're building the movement. I love that. I love the the 
introducing the hippie side of crypto. Um, I mean, on that note, it feels like the the overarching umbrella there is really this like push towards more um, regenerative crypto ecosystems and maybe an even a more regenerative sort of digital space. Um, on that note, I'm curious how you define regen more broadly, because um, mm-hmm. that really feels like the through line there. Yeah. Um, so my definition of regen is 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 a little bit technical. Um, I, I guess I'll, I'll give you two definitions. Um, Coin CoinDesk said that regen is a vibe more than it is a hard and fast category, and I was like, oh, like that's not wrong. We're trying to build a broad tent of of movement of of people who care about regeneration. And um, you know, my more technical definition is regeneration is a system that's resource capacity goes up over time, as opposed to degeneration which is a system that goes down over time, which is like, I, I think it's funny that like DGENs call themselves DGENs because you're basically saying, I want a sinking ship. Like it's degenerating. Down but only. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, but so when I'm talking about regeneration, my definition is not just up in resource capacity, but um, uh, in, in a financial vector, but also like social capital and environmental capital and spiritual capital. Like let's regenerate ourselves along with regenerating our planet and our communities. And so you know that's that's the technical definition i would i would also add that you want to have a system that's resistant to shocks so basically if you're terra luna and you hit a speed bump and you go from 40 billion down to zero um you could be regen for most of your life and if you're fragile you could degen all of a sudden this is the thanksgiving turkey problem right 700 days you're you're growing and then the last day is is your last day um so i think you, you want to have a regen system that's not fragile ideally is anti-fragile um, and I also think that you want to have a system where you don't have extreme wealth inequality. So basically, there's this law of economic systems that it's called the Matthew effect. And the, it means that basically it's the accumulated advantage that comes with accumulated wealth. So basically, the rich get richer, colloquially known, um, but also like the famous are getting more famous faster than um, than everyday people are, are gaining fame. So basically, like economic systems have a capacity to concentrate. And I think that like a regenerative system needs to reverse that. So um, just to roll all those things up that I that I said, region is definitely a vibe. It's uh, a system where the capacity goes up over time, not just financial capital. And also it shouldn't have extreme wealth inequalities. That's that's kind of like the financial system that I want to build in is my North Star. Yeah. And you mentioned, you know, when you first got into the space, there wasn't really like a regen was certainly not a thing. Um, What is the the timeline on when regen started becoming something that people were actually talking about and and like a shelling point? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, Gregory Landoa from the regen network has been working on this stuff for like 10 years. And I think that I owe homage to him for creating the regen network and creating a lot of the regen memes before I got involved. Uh, For me, the lineage starts in DeFi summer when everyone was farming digital vegetables and talking about degening into new yield farms. And, and uh, I sent this tweet like, Hey, after the degen comes the regen. And uh, it just kind of stuck in my mind as, Oh, this is kind of the yin to the yang of, of the degen part of the, of the ecosystem. What if we could build a movement of regenerative apps in the ecosystem and like Gitcoin is just one of the first ones in it. So, you know, there's a long uh, lineage of regen crypto and actually the lineage of regenerative systems in agriculture goes back hundreds of years. But yeah, within crypto, it starts with Gregory Landua and then for me with DeFi Summer. 
Yeah, I think this is really interesting also in the context of this this book that you put together, which is Things Crypto OGs Know, um, in the sense that I feel like there's a, a balance between some of these philosophies that have picked up steam, especially over the last few years, even if they existed prior, um, and this like reconciling that with this like, I don't want to say older way of approaching crypto, but there is certainly, to your point about when you got in the space, um, uh, roots in crypto that are much more like libertarian and and degenerate in a lot of ways, which I don't want to equate those things. They're certainly not the same, but um, that is also like a certain vibe. And so I'm I'm curious about sort of the impetus behind putting this book together. But before we even do that, do you feel like there's a some sort of reconciliation to make there between these like movements within crypto? No, um, you know, it, I feel like people generalize crypto and DAOs in such a way that it's almost useless to even talk about them. This is a decentralized movement and people are going to use the technology for things that that are part of their own value system. And it's going to be such a diffuse movement that um, like you wouldn't ask someone to reconcile, oh, this website's doing X and this website's doing Y. How do you reconcile? They're both the Internet like that. You know, it's decentralized. And I feel the same way about the decentralized ecosystem. You're going to have you're going to have people who care about making money. You're going to care about you're going to have people who care about building communities. You're going to have people who care about sovereignty. You're going to have people doing pump and dumps. And like there's not going to be a reconciliation between all those different people. That's like the definition of decentralization to me. Mm, interesting. Do you think that the public perception of crypto because it feels like the challenge there is just that like the public perception of crypto is a lot of like the pump and dump stuff. So maybe what it really is, is about elevating uh, projects and people who are working on things that are not aligned with a certain value set or exposing people to more um, mm-hmm. outside of that. Do you think oh, that's public, kind of the answer? No, the public perception is fucked. Um, <laughs> but, you know, like. <laughs> sorry, I mean, sorry, it is. But, um, you know, but it's like, you know, I when I was like when I was like, it was like 20 years ago, I went to go see this, this play on, it was like an off Broadway play. I lived in New York and I was like, um, it was called Avenue Q and they had this, this song entitled the internet is for porn. Um, and you know, this was like an incredibly nineties take of like, Oh, this new technology is here. What's the thing that like is in our perception that we can do with it. It's porn because it's the most visceral thing. And, um, but you know, it is true that there is porn on the internet, but, uh, that's not all the internet is. And that's how I feel about crypto is like the public is just getting exposed to crypto and they have like one pixel of awareness about it. Oh, crypto is just scams. But then like once we expand it out to a hundred pixels, then eventually a hundred thousand pixels, then people say, oh, that's just like one very weird and like degen corner of web three. And, um, I think that like my job as a regen is to help people hang in the ecosystem. This is why we call it the book stuff crypto OGs know is because like I want to help people get in through their first cycle and not lose their coins to some hack, not lose it to some influencer, not lose it to some pump and dump. I want them to be able to turn tell the bullshit from the from the actually truly revolutionary stuff. And education is the way is the way that you do that. Like you and I have been through a couple cycles and we're still here. Uh uh, at least for the most part. And, um, you know, we should we should pay that forward to the next generation. And like part of the problem is that crypto onboards you by by like you follow an influencer on YouTube and they're like, hey, buy my bags. But people act, we just need like good sources of information that are impartial and aren't trying to take advantage of you. And that's kind of what we're trying to do with stuff. Crypto OGs know the, the book that uh, that we're talking about. 
Yeah, totally. Um, maybe you can give a little bit of context also on the contributions that that went into this because it was it was kind of like a, a shared effort, which I think is really really interesting. So, broad strokes, maybe you, you kind of touched on yeah. why you felt like this was important, but um, would be great to have an overview of the book itself and how it was put yeah. together. Yeah, sure. Um, so first off, you can get the book. You can go to greenpill.network. And then there's a little place where you can download the Green Pill book, uh, which is the first self-published book that I did. And then you can click more books and then you can get a copy of the Stuff Crypto OG's Notebook uh, on greenpill.network for free, a digital copy for free. And then you can also get a physical printed copy for I think it's like 15 bucks or something like that. Um, so basically, I've got one up in my browser over here, and uh, the title is Stuff That Crypto OGs Know. And on the back cover, it says, first cycle, you was a tourist. You chased the pump. You bought the Pico top. You didn't self-custody. You have bags, so many bags. First cycle, you is not is NGMI. Um, multi-cycle, you plays the long game. You rode the waves. You stayed hungry. You stayed humble. You did the work. Multi-cycle, you knows wag me. We are going to make it. So this tome of stuff crypto OGs know is your guide to becoming a multi-cycle crypto citizens, surviving your first cycle. Um, and it was just produced by a bunch of people that that I know. Um, I basically went out to well, well, the first thing I did whenever I'm I'm trying to tweet something in the or uh crowdsource something in the lazy webs is I just sent a tweet like, hey, if you could go back in time to when you first entered crypto and tell your past self a few words of wisdom, what would you tell them? And I got like hundreds of responses to that tweet. And so um, I just picked out the best words of wisdom and put them into uh, into the book. And I also asked uh, David Hoffman from Bankless and uh, a couple people from Gitcoin and Anthony Sassel to write letters to them past to their past selves to, to help sort of like frame what should what would I have told my past self, which I think is like the ultimate form of empathy for people is, you know, when you were first getting in in the first cycle, what do you wish you knew? And then you could pay that forward to the people who are reading the book in in upcoming cycles. So, um, yeah, I mean, it was just a matter of kind of crowdsourcing mental models and stuff that crypto OGs could know and then laying it out in a book. And then we released it at ETH Denver this year. And um, I think we sold a couple hundred copies. It hasn't been a massive success or anything, although I am in talks with a real publisher to make it into a real published book, which would be cool if we're going to make crypto go mainstream and we want to onboard the next billion users, then I think it would be responsible to tell them what the OGs know and how not to get blown up. So I think there's a pretty big market for this if crypto is ever going to get out of just a hobbyist thing and into more mainstream thing. I think this is like necessary knowledge for the journey. Totally. Yeah. And I feel like the book is kind of split up into two types of um, pieces of advice or pieces of knowledge not in the sense that the book is actually split up this way, but I think underlying this is what I got from it. One is like very tactical advice, custodying your assets, making sure that you're not buying when everyone else is dumping, like all of these things. And then the other side of it feels like it's a lot more about kind of like values um, and thinking about, you know, what we care about as an ecosystem and, and what we're like building towards or pushing towards, which I think is a little bit more subtle in the book, but it definitely feels like it has hints of that. Um, can you talk a little bit about the thinking there behind like giving both tactical advice and then also kind of trying to get people um, on the same page or at least understanding a certain set of values that feels like it comes with entering the ecosystem? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I'm a big fan of the Bankless podcast. And one of the things they always say is that using crypto tools is sort of a Trojan horse for for crypto values. And I think that 
that that's that's sort of a really interesting take in a lot of ways because um you know crypto does reorganize the way we transfer financial value and i think that that's going to have the potentially potential to deeply rupture society and reorganize it in pretty profound ways and so we should I think that values are inherent in technology and we should be explicit about them and debate them as opposed to just let them happen. Or, you know, if the, if the masses just let them happen, then it's more likely that, like the billionaires are going to inject their values into the future of society. But um, yeah, I would say that the, the book is also structured in such a way that if you just want the practical knowledge about how to hang, um, it goes from practical knowledge into ideology at the end. And so you can just like read the middle of the book and abandon it at the end if you don't want to hear about our crypto ideologies. But, um, you know, I, I think that I, I think that it was a very conscious decision to include not only the practical knowledge, but also the ideology knowledge, because I think that you can't really truly experience the Ethereum ecosystem and until you experience its values and its culture. And for me, that was never true about finance in the old world. Like finance was always the stayed thing, suit and tie, or you know, worse, you're hidden. Hidden the the brand is hidden behind some sort of chat bot where they don't actually have any personal relationship with you at all. And um, and and for me, Ethereum has been about community and participating in the community and the culture. And and so I think that the two are very commingled for me, at least in this phase of the market cycle. And that's why they're both in there. Yeah, I, I think this is really interesting in the context of something that and we were talking a little bit before we started recording um, that I've been thinking about a lot, which is kind of like with the launch of friend tech. And we'll talk about some of the stuff that has been happening with Gitcoin lately. But it feels like I'm at this weird point where I'm kind of realizing that it's really important to build with values that that I have high conviction in. At the same time, it feels like in order to get to a point where we have like mainstream adoption and we're building consumer apps that people are actually using, um, there's also this element of like maybe we do need to build like lightly addictive consumer apps, which we can justify because we know the back end is decentralized and we're making sure that like governance is like kind of interestingly addictive. And so it's actually net positive, even though we're making certain trade-offs. Um, and so I'm curious how you think about what it looks like to build with a value set while also recognizing that like maximizing and, and over indexing on those values is potentially what has gotten us to where we are today, yeah. which is that everybody fucking hates crypto. No one yeah. really uses it except for this niche part of the internet. Yeah. I'm curious yeah. how you think about that. Yeah. Well, I got tripped up when you said governance was like light and fun and addictive uh, because anyone who's participated in governance that's listening is like, that's just kind of funny take to me. Uh, I feel like governance is addictive in the same way that like running marathons is addictive where it's like painful <laughs> for most of the time you're doing it, but it's like type two fun where you're like, yeah, I should run another marathon after like the endorphins kick in. Yeah. So um, I think we need to make it type one fun. Like we need to get to the point where it's actually like addictive and interesting. <laughs> okay. So here's, here's my hot take and um, I'll get back to answering the rest of your question in a sec. But um, I, I think that like kind of what we did with Gitcoin um with like you load up your cart every quarter with the projects that you want to fund and then you check out um is is governance but we're like trojan horsing the governance into what feels like an e-commerce experience right like i'm tricking you you're actually when you're checking out on that cart you're actually governing where the matching pool goes but it doesn't feel like reading a forum and like politicking and and all this bullshit so like 
it but you're actually it, it, even though you actually are governing where the funds go so like wrap it up into something that feels like more of a consumer experience that respects the user's cognitive bandwidth and and everything like that is like maybe one trick there totally like i think and and yeah we'll we'll follow up on the value stuff in a minute but yeah. I've been thinking about that a lot in the context of thinking about governance as a feature instead of a product, basically. That's like my framing for it. But the mm -hmm. Gitcoin um, cart is a perfect example of that where, yeah, you. I think we need to start wrapping these things in experiences that are either fun or familiar to people. Um, some of those things like the Gitcoin grants uh, cart situation doesn't feel like you're like trading off something that is, you know, a value to match an existing consumer experience. Like the cart experience is, is pretty neutral in terms of, you know, it's not super addictive, but it's still really powerful. I think when you start to get into like, how do you, if you think about TikTok likes and engagement, for example, as governance as well over, you know, some algorithm, that's where it starts to become more questionable because the way that you keep people engaged is by like sucking their time and attention. Um, and so, yeah, I think you start to get into weirder territory when you're making explicit trade-offs that are not positive for end users. Yeah. TikTok's too powerful for me. Uh, it's like the high fructose corn syrup of attention. Um, whenever I use TikTok, I try to like imagine the AI that's pointed at my brain and trying to trick me into spending more time on the site. And I'm like, this motherfucker is pretty clever because <laughs> uh, it works. Like I open up TikTok and all of a sudden it's 45 minutes later and I'm like, where am I? Um, yeah, the tech can be that good. And our goal is to build decentralized governance that's human deliant, that, that, that's that good. And I think that's what we gotta, we gotta focus on. Totally. And so I'm curious in the context of building like human aligned, you know, decentralized technology, it feels like human aligned is this balance back to this values question where like mm -hmm. we know what we're doing is net positive in terms of like optimally it's better as just a structure for the Internet, whether it's because the incentive structure is different or because who actually owns these platforms is different. I think there are a lot of factors that make it so that like we feel pretty confident that if we were able to build a better, for example, identity solution or social network on Web3 Rails, that would probably be better. Then I think the question becomes, okay, well, how do we get consumers over the line and how do we build where like actually people want to use this stuff? Because what seems clear is that just because it's better from an incentives, um, you know, underlying incentives perspective or ownership or governance perspective does not mean that it is a better application. And actually, in a lot of cases, it seems like it means it's a worse application and experience. Yeah. And so I think that's where this question is coming from in terms of like, how much do we want to make trade-offs um, on our own values to basically get adoption? And I'm curious how you think about that. Yeah. Um, I think there's a lot, there's a lot there. Um, I mean, my number one, remember I worked in web two for like 12 years, um, before I did this. And so I know lots of the psychological tricks along with gamification and utility and user funnels that, that you sort of learn when you're a web entrepreneur. And I think that like, you know, the, the, the main thing that it all boils down to is the drivers for the consumer to get into your app need to be higher than the barriers for them to do so. So there's two strategies there. You can reduce friction or you can increase utility or at least perceived utility going down the funnel. And, you know, I think that a lot of crypto adoption stuff is too focused on uh, reducing utility or sorry, reducing uh, friction. So like, how do we make it easier to install a wallet? How do we make it easier to back up your seed phrase? Like these are all valid things to do, but I really think that where we're gonna build like the hundred X more momentum is finding more drivers to bring people in in higher utility to bring them in. And so, you know, what are the things that 
Web3 really truly enables for these people, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's hard because you're not like no one comes home at the end of the day and is like, oh, my day was so centralized. Like, it's just not a like top order concern that people have. And so you have to find ways to like really find utility that um, where you like self-sovereign own something and, and it, it, it feels different or, or, uh, you know, I'm also really interested in like multiplayer, uh, finance, like the, the, how much easier it is to form a multi-sig with someone than it is to form like a legal entity and get a bank account, especially when you live across the world. I think the drivers are 10 X more in, in that use case than they are, um, in the old use cases, multiplayer finance, I think, you know, which of which I consider Gitcoin and crowdfunding to be an example, um, are, are, are different ways of doing that. But yeah, it all boils down to drivers being higher than the barriers and the apps that can really figure that out, I think are going to, are going to be the ones that, that win. Yeah, I totally agree in terms of potentially like over-indexing on worrying about reducing friction instead of increasing utility. I think that's like a huge um, thing that I've come to realize over the last year as I've been thinking about consumer crypto. The other thing that comes to mind here that I'm, when I think about what it means to increase utility, I think something like self-sovereign identity and ownership and all of these things, it feels like ultimately the way that those things manifest as a benefit is almost mm -hmm. always financial. Like mm -hmm. I, I really am struggling with this idea of are the best crypto apps just always going to be financialized applications or will we actually find use cases that are outside of that and that have true utility that have basically nothing to do with money? And I'm curious if you, if you have a gut instinct on that. Um, so Gregory Landua published this, this this thing that has become canon for me, um, entitled Eight Forms of Capital. And basically his, uh, his, his mental model is that like, there's not just financial capital, there's cultural capital and living capital and spiritual capital and social capital and intellectual, uh, I already said intellectual capital. Um, there, so basically there's eight forms of capital. And I think that in a lot of ways, like what Web3 allows us to do is to build bridges between financial capital and social capital, financial capital and spiritual capital or material capital. Like, um, and so like friend.tech, which we were, we were just talking about, it's, it's basically this app that just came out for those of us who aren't used to it or uh, haven't heard of it. We're basically, uh, when you join the app, it, it mints a bond. It creates a smart contract that is a bonding curve on the base L2 and, and basically people can buy shares of you in order to get into your DM. So it's basically financializing access to you. That's a bridge between financial capital and social capital, right? Um, and then, you know, like a lot of the stuff we're doing on Git, like by the way, Gitcoin Grants Round 18 just launched, go to gitcoin.co, load up your cart and fund a bunch of projects that are fighting climate change. That's a bridge between finance and social capital. Um, there's also an education round and there's going to be like Spirit DAO in there and uh, like the Green Pill Network. In my mind, those are like, those are spiritual capital that you're funding with Web3. So um, 
these are all financialized applications, but I think what's interesting about them is that they're equally accessible to people, whether they're rich or poor. You know, the average amount you're spending on Gitcoin is like a dollar. On friend.tech, it's like a dollar to slide into someone's DMs, at least before they get they get famous. And so, um, you know, for me, it's building use cases that like might be financial, but they're accessible to everyday humans that don't have giant bags, like not just to the whales. We want to build a financial system for everyone and, and not just the whales. And like particularly finding use cases where you can provide fair value and receive fair financial value in the form of tokens back, I think are really interesting to me because there's a, there's a giant difference between things that are just speculative, like DGen casino games and things where we're actually genuinely exchanging social capital or intellectual capital. And I'm giving you financial capital for that. Like that last stuff I can onboard 99% of humanity into. And keep in mind that 99% of humanity, their financial lives is not their house in the Hamptons or their 401k. It's their community and it's their jobs, you know? And so you really want to build more democratic financial system. I think if we're going to onboard the rest of humanity, it would be responsible to do that. And it would it, like, it's still going to be financial, but it's going to be less speculative and it's going to be like regenerative bridges to these different types of financial capital is my vision. At least that's the re that's, the region web three ecosystem that I want to build. So a little bit of hope, but a lot of pragmatism is going to get us there. Yeah. I mean, I think it's kind of interesting in the context of like, when I think about my assumptions about what this might look like and what a more regenerative uh, internet might look like on web three rails, I think mm -hmm. up until now, I've very much, I don't want to say resented the idea that everything would be financialized, but I've certainly thought I, I've assigned a moral value to that. And that moral value was mm -hmm. bad. And I think I'm finally starting to recognize, which kind of sounds like the point that you're making. What uniquely enables a lot of interesting Web3 applications is financial rails, whether you're connecting that with different types of capital, like there are definitely interesting ways to play around with it. But maybe there is this acceptance that like, most things that we build are going to have something to do with the financialization of something or with some sort of financial tie-in. And maybe like the sooner we accept that and stop assigning it as something that's bad, um, the closer we get towards building things that people actually want to use. Yeah, uh, I think that's fair. Um, and let's keep in mind that we live in a web scale civilization and we need money to survive. Like, you know, the things that are lower, lower on Maslow's hierarchy, food and shelter, I think it's good to have finance to pay for those things. Um, I would love, I, I think that once you get to higher parts of Maslow's hierarchy, like self-actualization and then, and, and then like things of that nature, like being able to buy into those things is maybe a little bit like that has a different valence for me in, in my head. And so the answer is shades of, shades of gray, I think. And, um, yeah, so th there's nuance there, which is, you know, the hard part about the internet is that nuance is the enemy of common understanding, right? So any take with any nuance doesn't go viral. But, um, you know, I think that that's the true nature of things. Yeah, and part of what that makes me think about in general is like, I think when I think about what values we hold true, um, for me, I mean, fundamentally what I think is happening there is A, nuance, but B, I think some of my values are changing. I'm curious in this uh, stuff Crypto OGs Know book and you putting some of this together and working with people on this, how much have you seen your own values change over time since you first entered the space? 
Um, well, I came in very lefty. Uh, if you're watching the video, you'll see that my hair is getting longer again. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, like I said, I've already outed myself as as the uh, the hippie who plays Frisbee in, in hacky sacks uh, at crypto conferences. But the one thing I'll say is that I've really gained an appreciation for some of the more libertarian views of things since joining the space. And, you know, I grew up with, in sort of a lefty family and hung out with mostly lefties. For most of my life because that's just what you do you hang with your tribe and especially with things being so polarized these days but um you know web3 for me was an opportunity to revisit a lot of my beliefs but from first principles and i like growing up the view was always like hey there's all these people who are who are like systemically oppressed and um there's all these like coordination failures in the world why don't we just have the government solve it like we should do that. And then in, and, you know, stepping into the web three space, I kind of see some of the criticisms of, you know, the whole like Eric Voorhees taxation is theft. Uh, I want to be sovereign and not have my money spent in a way that I don't consent to. Um, I think that, in, you know, just some of the criticisms of government being, being too big um, are, are things that I now have a lot more empathy for and understand since coming into the space and it's been the synthesis uh synthesis of like my progressive upbringing and that more libertarian view in the space that has kind of come up for me of like hey maybe what if the unlock is that we still solve the pro-social things the coordination failures we just don't use government to do it we use smart contracts and we use the coordination of a decentralized internet to do it and that'll be more legitimate and and more democratic than than like the old aging, creaking institutions in our government could ever be. And it's been the synthesis of that that has provided a lot of value in my worldview. So I mean, I guess TLDR, I've, I've learned a lot more about the other side of the spectrum and different mimetic tribes and what they value. And it's in the synthesis of those things that my my worldview has, has developed since coming into crypto. But I don't know if everyone has that experience. It, it might be very unique to pouring six years of your heart and soul into building an organization and being in the ecosystem. And if you're just like, trading yam coins or something like that. Maybe you don't get that kind of experience. I don't know. Let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsor, Forefront. Forefront launched in 2020 and holds a very special place in my heart as the first DAO that I ever contributed to. Since then, Forefront has become a steward of the crypto ecosystem, empowering Web3 explorers to create and participate at the frontier of collective creation on-chain. I subscribe to very few newsletters and Forefront is one of them because they just put out a ton of amazing content. They have essays, they have research reports, and they even do conversations with founders, but they're also incredible curators. Their newsletter is truly the best pulse on what's happening on the culture and creator side of crypto. And I actually use it to source guests often. Um, for those of you that might remember, I had Light, who's a crypto artist, on the show a few episodes ago to talk about hypercultures. And that was actually an article that I originally found in the Forefront newsletter. So if you want to keep your finger on the pulse of these things, I cannot recommend the Forefront newsletter enough. You can subscribe at forefront.market slash subscribe. Seriously, you will not regret it. All right, let's hop back into the show. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of interesting. I feel like at the end of the day, there's actually a lot of like the if there's a Venn diagram of people who and this is obviously like a massive oversimplification. But if there's a Venn diagram of people who are much more libertarian versus more of like this regen um, type of like left leaning community, I think the shared space in terms of the outcomes that people want are often is often actually larger than at least we in like America as a you know political landscape give it credit for. Um, and it feels like what's sort of interesting is that the tooling at this point is not yet 
uh, polarizing enough within the crypto community itself for us to to like not be able to collaborate and work together on things. Um, and so there, there's definitely an interesting moment where like it, it's funny to be uh, pushing towards the same outcomes with very different political ideologies, but actually very similar goals and principles for at least what we mm. want to have happen at the end of the day, which is like we want people to, to have a sense of freedom and independence and autonomy while also being taken care of in a way that, you know, that is human, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, oh, I got to take here. Um, the, okay. So I, I gave this talk at ECC, uh, kind of about this, which is like kind of the problems of social media is that these are for-profit corporations that have a fiduciary duty to their shareholders to maximize profit. And the way they do that is that they have to maximize our attention, um, and time on site on social media. And so basically Profit equals attention, maximize profit equals maximize attention. And the way that you maximize attention is not by feeding people the information that they need to have to be a good citizen or to be a good husband or to be a good wife. The way you do it is that you race to the bottom of the brainstem and you trigger the their most visceral fear and hopes and emotions. Um, and, and it just so happens that getting us all to fucking argue with each other all day is a great way for social media sites to maximize their attention. And like, there's an AI pointed at your brain. I try to do, like, like I said about TikTok, I feel the AI pointing at my brain to keep me on site on TikTok. I feel the same thing with Twitter where I'm like, oh, that clickbait looks great. Like, oh wait, I'm going down the rabbit hole of, of like consuming this. And, and it's really, um, I really truly believe that our polarization in like the culture wars are 90% due to these like profit maximizing algorithms on social media. Um, and, uh, oh man, uh, we, uh, I've been working with this experiment on lens protocol where, uh, basically what we're trying to do is build a social network that maximizes the amount of public goods funding, um, out of engagement as opposed to maximizing attention. And so what we did was we allow people to send micro tips to each other on lens protocol, um, if, if they like really value each other's work. And like a micro tip is a, like a slightly different measure of what you value than like, like uh, than a like, like likes for me, you're the ultimate shit coin. Like you just triggered a dopamine rush in my brain. And I'm going to give you a like, but if I send you like a dollar, then I actually really value what you're doing. But the problem is that no one gives a shit about a dollar. Um, it's like, if I send you a dollar, I'm sending you a taxable event. And so what we did was we organized, we put quadratic funding, the engine of Gitcoin inside of Lens Protocol. And we ran around around ETC where uh, we were matching anyone who talked about ETC with a 10K matching pool. And there were people who were just writing write-ups of, of ETC, providing a public good to the ETC space. Um, and they earned, they were earning like a uh, $500 per post uh, because, because we had this matching pool and they were getting all these micro tips supported by the crowd. So how do we rewrite social media to be more oriented around the public good um, as opposed to just like dopamine rushes is like, I feel like, our information environment is the public good that informs how we fund all the other public goods. And I just like discovered it as a high leverage point for something that I want to work on. Anyway, that experiment is called quadratic Leinster. I've been nerding out with Stani on it on the green pill podcast. And I'm like really bullish on how do we build information environments that were, uh, conducively fund public goods. And like, you might spend 15 minutes per quarter on Gitcoin grants, checking out with your favorite rounds with your favorite cart. Um, but we spend like three hours a day on social media. So how do we embed that experience more in social media? Um, anyway, you didn't ask me about any of that, but I'm just taking some liberties on your podcast because you gave me a mic. Uh, public goods funding in social media, public goods information environments, I think is going to be a high leverage thing. 
No, I love that. That's that's exactly what this podcast is for. I mean, I think this point around like dopamine and how you can play around with some of this, I think really like hammers home that values conversation, which is basically like, I think right now we see, you know, this like dopamine heavy sort of constant dopamine chasing environment as bad. I think there's a world in which that's true, which is under the economic conditions that you're talking about, which is basically like platforms make money off of your attention. So they're maximizing your attention, which they're doing with this tool of like constantly giving you little hits of dopamine. I feel like there's a world in which you change the underlying structure that you're actually trying to optimize for, which is, for example, public goods funding and allocating money towards uh, public goods. In that case, it's like, well, how how might we use this like dopamine cycle that we know is how our brains work to our advantage to build systems that feel better for humans? Yes, they might still have these like dopamine chasing kind of addictive patterns, yeah. but maybe that's okay if we're actually pushing people towards something that's positive some. Yeah. Um, I think that... Um... I think that, you know, it's, it's, it's useful to understand how the human mind developed. Like the reason why we have these, these dopamine rushes associated with things like sex is to encourage us to reproduce, or when we eat a sugary treat is to encourage us to get the fitness payoff of, of getting those rewards in the natural environment. Um, but you know, as we moved out of the savanna and we've moved from the hunter gatherer to the agricultural to the industrial age to the information age, then we basically have these like paleolithic emotions and, and dopamine responses. And we've got medieval institutions and we've got godlike technology. Right. And so that to me, that spectrum has just always been so profound. And I, I, I'm forgetting the per- name of the person who came up with this uh with, with this quote uh, uh, about the godlike technology down to the paleolithic emotions. But I think recognizing the arbitrage in that like places a great deal of responsibility in, in my mind as, the, as a builder to like basically not take advantage of people's paleolithic emotions with our godlike technology. And um, I think that there's a network effect to, to building an ecosystem of people who are building regen apps together and proving that it's possible because you can understand intellectually that, that, that this is a problem, but until you like use an app that actually like gives you the fitness payoff that was advertised by, by your dopamine rushes, like you, you might be cynical that it's even possible. So the first thing is just showing people that it's possible to build these regen apps, these things that feel well, good and are good for you. And then we have to, we have to create a, this is the part I haven't figured out how to do, do yet is like, if the whole ecosystem is evolving according to market selection together, how do we make it so that it's more profitable for the average entrepreneur in the space to build a regen app or like a pro social app, as opposed to like another Ponzi coin or something like that. Like how do we make the fitness payoffs for the entrepreneurs better for serving the actual consumers? And I think the ecosystem quite candidly is still evolving uh, away from that. But there was a tipping point in nature in the evolution of, of natural systems where like it was no longer optimal to play a zero sum game. So like, being a cancer or being a virus was became suboptimal to being like a pro-social mammal, uh, early human. And uh, like what you see this in wolves, like being pro-social is like evolutionarily adaptive in some of those niches. And, and I think it's up to the ecosystem to mature to that point where being pro-social is an evolutionary advantage for, for entrepreneurs. So anyway, um, regenerate the entrepreneurs and then regenerate the consumers slash citizens from there is kind of my formula. 
Yeah, and it feels like part of the way that we do that now is with like social enforcement, basically. Obviously, the thing that's challenging about social enforcement is that you end up with a lack of nuance, which kind of like nicely dovetails into this Gitcoin conversation, which is happening right now, which is that um, whenever you are doing anything and you are using social mechanisms to enforce people playing positive sum games, everyone's going to have a take and they're allowed to have a take because your mechanism for enforcing some of the stuff is the social, you know, media environment, basically. Um, but that doesn't always mean that they're nuanced in their understanding or takes or oh, enforcement. No. The opposite, um, yeah. So maybe you can give a little bit of context on what's going on with some of the Gitcoin stuff, and then we can dive into yeah. that side of things. Yeah. By the way, Chase, I just first off, I want to thank you for giving me a forum to talk about stuff crypto OGs know and my philosophy on public goods. And uh, not leading with the more clickbaity Gitcoin partners with Shell. And it's a big controversy. <laughs> like you could get way more clicks by doing that. So, um, you know, thank you for creating a space where we can talk about the good stuff first. Um, anyway, so there's a controversy going on right now. I think that's what you wanted to talk about, the Shell uh, the shell controversy. Okay, yeah. so first off, before I talk about this, um, I'm the founder of Gitcoin, one of the co-founders. But I disaffiliated from leadership last year in order to create... Uh, opportunity for more uh, power and responsibility in the DAO, and they're still growing into that. Um, basically, the most recent controversy, by the way, like we're like 10 controversies deep with Gitcoin when you're trying to fund public goods and you're a prominent brand. Um, people have lots of takes about, about what's going on. The most recent one is that Gitcoin announced a 500K partnership with Shell uh, to fund climate science. So let's just sit with the uh, the the paradox of of Shell as a brand and Gitcoin as a bright green green like Regen brand for a moment there. And I don't know, maybe you could point out some contradictions there or ask me some questions. If not, I'm happy to to take take you through what I think. Yeah, I mean, certainly it feels like the the reception that I've seen lightly on crypto Twitter, which I have not. I I will say full disclosure, I've not done a deep dive on on a lot of the the takes here, but it's basically like. Gitcoin's taking blood money and this is like a, um, you know, directly sort of paradoxical and uh, directly against like what Gitcoin wants to support. And so taking money from an organization yeah. that obviously does a lot against um, helping with climate stuff is, is there's yeah. nuance there. Yeah, uh, there's nuance there. Um which is like anytime there's nuance in anything on social media, you're just about to hit a fucking buzzsaw of like who can create the most reductionist viral take uh, ever. And, um, you know, I can do that. I can play the low, like the low twit game also, but it, um, this situation is, is a little bit more nuanced. Um, so maybe I'll just, I'll just give you my, my take on it. Yeah, let's hear it. Cool. So, um, so basically like, I don't, I don't really care for the shell brand and I don't think that people will, opt into the optional shell matching pool, but it's a free market, you know, we'll decide like Gitcoin's job is to provide the funding to the matching pools, which will go out to the public goods. And so in a, in a sense, like this is like a tragedy of Gitcoin's own, own uh, success in a way. But, you know, I think 500K is like a pittance compared to the, like if you look at Shell's contribution to the climate crisis in the brand damage to Gitcoin being immense, like, um, one, one take I read on Twitter is that, 
Uh, maybe Gitcoin should allow Shell into the climate rounds. After all, it is a permissionless protocol now. But um, maybe we shouldn't green. Sh and I'm using we because I founded Gitcoin, but like I'm disaffiliated from leadership. Maybe we we shouldn't greenwash their reputation by writing a prominent thread about them for 500k. Um, the environmentalist in me, and this is a take from Papa Ra. Uh, the environmentalist in me thinks they should be paying tens of millions into the rounds, basically the equivalent of like war reparations for their history of violence against the climate. That's a little spicy. Um, um, but uh, that's Papa Ra's take. I, I just happen to agree uh, um, agree with it. Um, another more nuanced take is like we could acknowledge all the nuances and contradictions inherent into ushering in a clean energy future, and one of them being the pragmatic need to help a way to find legacy energy providers transition into a clean energy future and hopefully pay back the damage that they've done. Um, so those are a couple takes. I've got a few more, but I, maybe you could react to, to those before I keep going. Yeah, I mean, I think fundamentally some of what what this is getting at is actually a very similar dynamic to this question around like how much do you trade off, you know, certain values um, in order to push for like consumer adoption of crypto, which is basically like how much do you want to play an old game or how much do you want to lean on legacy, you know, um, companies like Shell to push us towards the future that we want to get to? And I think how you navigate that, that, trade-off and how Gitcoin has navigated that trade-off is has been really interesting to watch because yeah you're you're going to get people on on different sides of the saying you know what shell should have given more and then you're also going to get people who are like fuck that shell should not have ever been able to be engaged with Gitcoin in this way and so it feels like a lot of this is really more about how people um think we should be navigating transitioning into newer systems and how much we should be engaging with older existing legacy players or legacy, you know, dark patterns on the internet or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's, there, there's a lot there. Um, I guess where it breaks down for me, and this is actually like, I kind of feel like I got ahead of this in a way, because like I said, this is like my 10th Gitcoin controversy and all these like summer children at the Dow are going through their first bear market. It's like their big controversy. If you're listening to this and you're at Gitcoin, like, don't worry, wag me. I, I think I think wag me. Um, anyway, so um, so here here's here's like where I've gotten to. Public goods are relative to the values of the communities they serve. Some communities are going to want a DEI round. Some are going to think that's woke fucking nonsense. Some are going to want want to fund open source software. Some just don't give a shit about open source. Some people want to fund physical physical public goods. Some want to fund digital. Some are okay with an oil company giving them money, and some are not. So basically, it's impossible to serve all of these mimetic tribes at the same time, and that's a fundamental tension in what Gitcoin's trying to do. If you're trying to build the stack for civilizational scale public goods funding. All of the tribes don't agree on what is a public good. And this was a really profound realization for me. And it's why 24 months ago, we decided to shut down the company that was Gitcoin Grants and turn it into a protocol in a DAO. So basically now at Gitcoin, you have the, like the DAO contributors and you have their politics. You have the PGF work stream, which is like the public goods funding work stream that did these partnerships. And then you have the products, which are now credibly neutral protocols. And so by design, if you don't, if you think Gitcoin's too woke because they're funding diversity, equity, and inclusion, um, or that they're taking blood money from Shell, then you don't have to take the money, but you can still use the protocols. And anyone can go to manager.gitcoin.co and set up their own quadratic funding round for their own values, whatever that, like you're into furries, let's fund fur furry public goods, knitting public goods, um, Shiba Inu, Sonic 69 coin public goods, like whatever your public goods are, having a credibly neutral protocol allows you to build for your community on top of that. And I think that that's 
like how we scale how we scale civilizational scale public goods is we just give each of the memetic tribes like the perfect ultimate like godlike coordination technology and um we let them raise money for their public goods and then like you know it can get there can be interesting overlap where if something is a public good in multiple rounds at once then you get really high matching and it becomes this sort of like super big flywheel of public goods funding and um so i know that's that's like I feel like Gitcoin's architecture has been deeply contemplated around this issue. And 36 months ago, it would have been way fucking easier for me to just like not rewrite the entire stack from top to bottom uh, around a DAO protocol layer. But it's like fundamentally better position now because that's the way it is. And like, was it stupid for Gitcoin to tweet about shell from the main handle? Yes, probably. It should have been like, you know, the public goods climate work stream that was tweeting about it. And it's their own opinionated belief that we should be able to take money from the oil company. Um, but you know, this is part of the struggle with the decentralization is just not all the way there yet. So anyway, that's another take is that self-sovereign communities building bottoms up on credibly neutral protocols is, is the way. What I'm hearing and what I don't think I've fully realized until this exact moment is that if someone were to do this on Ethereum, for example, no one would look at Ethereum, the protocol and go, fuck that, like Vitalik is, is you know, yeah. like a, a grifter. Like no one would, would Well, the Bitcoin maxis would, but- The Bitcoin you know, maxis no, would, yeah. totally. <laughs> but, but I think what's interesting is that we're still at a point where when protocols like Gitcoin decentralize, I don't think we've fully processed what that actually means and what credible neutrality actually means because we still hold these brands as like, you know- entities that act with an opinionated stance. And yes, I think the nuance there is probably like Gitcoin tweeting about it from the Gitcoin account because that is more opinionated and that isn't quite yeah. aligned with like, like there's never an Ethereum count, account that someone's tweeting from and pushing. However, it, it was also that shift. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm sorry to interrupt you. It wasn't just tweeting about it from the Gitcoin account, but it was like, there's like a big fucking image of like a shell logo with surrounded by all this like solar punk greenery. And I think that that's what really pissed people off also is like, okay, so you're basically greenwashing for a shell now. Totally. Um, so anyway, I just wanted to yes and that, but I'm sorry if I ruined your train of thought. No, you're good. You're good. Yeah. I think so. Like that feels like that is definitely where maybe um, where a mistake was made. But I think the point more broadly about what it looks like to have a credibly neutral protocol where people can opt in or opt out of doing the matching with shell and where you do have these different types of communities and where, yes, like some people are going to think that a DEI round is way too woke. And some people are going to think that's what's totally necessary. Um, I feel like we haven't gotten to the point where we see these, these brands and these protocols built on top of Ethereum and, and other, you know, um, chains as credibly neutral in the way that we see Ethereum itself as credibly neutral. Yeah. And I think part of that is like, that is a mental shift to understand and to conceptualize. And I don't know that I have made that mental shift. Um, and I think a lot of people in the space probably haven't either. And it was literally yeah. not until this exact moment where I was like, oh shit, credible neutrality really means yeah. credible neutrality. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I mean, you know, the fact that like I'm on your podcast, you need to really realize now that it's a protocol that's credibly neutral it just means that the marketing team, if, it, if you're in Gitcoin marketing, listening to this, like here's, here's your audience, like tell them that it's a credibly <laughs> neutral protocol. Now we should probably start telling people that, um, but you know, Gitcoin has, unlike the Ethereum, it, Ethereum didn't start off as a company and then become a DAO like, like Gitcoin did. Right. So we have 
three years of priors, four years of priors of a company. And um, even when it was a DAO for the first two years, it still used the old centralized product that I built in. Like the protocols are here as of six or nine months ago. And so like now we've we've achieved credible neutrality. Um, and it, there's really some profound things about decentralization that I just, I really love the attributes that it gives you with more democratic decision-making and censorship resistance and credible neutrality. Um, and, and, and like, you know, people talk about decentralization of power, but I got to tell you, like the decentralization of stress that has come from making Bitcoin a DAO for me has been really one of the best parts as a founder. So, um, I, I think it's been a journey and and um, what Gitcoin's trying to do is is like probably a little bit ahead of its time. And we're going to keep hitting these landmines probably every couple quarters. But, um, you know, it's it's about like I think this is a decade long play, just like the Internet turned out to be multi decades to play out. I think Internet of Finance will, too. And, and we're just going to keep building for the future that we want to see. And we're going to fuck it up multiple times. But like building a civilizational scale infrastructure for funding public goods in like a pluralistic mutualistic way. is not like, it's not something that happens overnight. So um, I, I think that we'll just keep approaching that horizon until uh, we either lose or, or we'll just keep trying to do it until, until we get there. Yeah. And I think to be clear too, I think like it, in terms of in theory, I think it's clear, at least in my mind that Gitcoin is like a credibly neutral protocol um, I think where things get interesting is that I had never accepted it fully in practice until now. It's kind of like when you can say whatever you want until some someone comes along and challenges you on it and says, okay, prove it. And this is kind of an okay, prove it moment where, yeah. um, where I think you really start to, at least I'm starting to have a moment of like, oh shit, okay, this is what this actually means. You know, everything's... Yeah. It's like rainbows and butterflies to say, okay, we're we're going to distribute um, a lot of this power in order to make sure that we can be credibly neutral. And everyone looks at that and is like, yeah, totally. Like that makes sense. That's the playbook to actually play the damn book and do the thing and yeah. and embody that fully is, I think, a totally different story. And I think I have accepted that for Ethereum, but I have not accepted that for a lot of protocols that sit on top of it. And so I think yeah. that's where um, a lot of this stuff gets interesting and, and where I think it, it's a lot more of like an emotional shift in thinking about how we think about a lot of these things than it is, you know, anything yeah. else. And the hard thing is like, and by the way, like I'm a software engineer, like the Star Trek character that I identify with the most is is Spock. So like live long and <laughs> prosper for the listeners out there. Like I like, I like to think that I default to logos and like, Part of the hard thing about leading people is that you really have to load, lead with ethos in a lot of ways. Um, you know, Logos is good, but like, um, I, I think that Gitcoin's got to basically, I think there's going to be sub DAOs or like sub work streams and they're all going to have their own brand. And like, you know, if you, if you see a tweet from like the climate public goods funding group at Git, like you're going to say, oh, they're associated with Gitcoin, but that's not Gitcoin. And it's up for people, for us to like imbue each of these little sub brands with the ethos of what we're doing and then like lead people to that, like, oh, this is like the Allo protocol, which stands for allocation protocol. This is, this is like the protocol account and it's credibly neutral and it's like very logos, right? But, or like, this is the climate science round and they're like deeply opinionated that, there's a climate crisis and we need to solve it, even if we're taking Shell's money. Um, and, you know, maybe there'll be, there'll be a, a, 
a a a hard green climate round organizers twitter account and brand that won't take shell's money and um but the but the point is that you'll know when you're interacting with the protocol versus you'll know when you're interacting with the macro brand and you know maybe the process in the future should be for the macro brand if we want to have the gitcoin handle tweet about something it's got to be within some parameters that are constrained by governance or something like that because honestly the brand gitcoin is like the biggest asset that Gitcoin still has, I think, um, you know, the endorsement from Vitalik in 2021 and $50 million of impact are all ethos, uh, like part of Gitcoin's brand in in people's in head. And so we just have to do a better job of showing the high resolution picture of the Gitcoin ecosystem as it decentralizes. These are the credibly neutral parts and these are the deeply opinionated parts. And um, and here's where you can fund your furry public goods over here too. Like the, the weird stuff will come out as well. So high resolution of you and leading people towards that emotional response, I think is what, is what we have to do. Yeah, totally. I really like that distinction of like, how can we communicate the parts that are credibly neutral and how can we communicate the parts that have an opinion and, and are going to run with it and are kind of building on top of the protocol, if you will, and, and engaging with the protocol. Um, that feels like a very good distinction and way to kind of break this up. And also maybe like an interesting uh, precedent moving forward for protocols that I'm sure are going to run into the same issues. Like you said, I think Gitcoin is very much ahead of its time. And I would anticipate that a lot of other protocols are going to yeah. have to deal with this, especially as we get outside of like the purely financialized protocols and into more of these, um, yeah. the bridges between social capital and financial capital and all that. I actually think that like Gitcoin's kind of behind, like in, in my view, Gitcoin's kind of la a laggard as a DAO. Like MakerDAO and ENS DAO and Optimism, I think, are leading the way for DAOs um, in a lot of ways. But like, that's a layer two protocol and a naming protocol. Like, these are things lower down the stack. I think mm -hmm. where Gitcoin is leading is things that are further up the stack. Something as complicated as public goods funding and solving the coordination failures there is um, is like why I think it's such a complicated space and why I think we're probably like a decade out from our our fullest potential. But um, you know, I, I, I believe that uh, I believe that you you learn by doing and you learn by experimenting and we'll probably hit another landmine. And uh, I hope you'll have me back to to talk about that when it does happen. <laughs> Hell yes. Um, it was so wonderful having you on, Kevin. Where can people learn more about you and all the wonderful work that you're doing across the space? Yeah. Um, so Stuff Crypto OGs Know is the book that I wrote and you can get it at greenpill.network. And you can also subscribe to the Green Pill Pod on that website as well. Gitcoin Grants Round 18 is live right now. There's a million dollars of matching and you can select uh, grants that are taking the shell money or you can select the grants that aren't. Um, again, this is all an opt-in based system. And you can check me out at twitter.com slash Owaki, O-W-O-C-K-I. I think I'm uh, the only Owaki in the Ethereum ecosystem, should, so you should be able to find me. And uh, Chase, every time we talk, I really enjoy the conversation. I think that you're um, such an amazing podcast host and thought leader in the space. And I can't wait to uh, build the Regen ecosystem together over the next coming years. I love that. Likewise, it's always so fun having you on. And similarly, in terms of podcast things and, and all the things that you're working on. So always appreciate our chats. Live long and prosper. <laughs>